California And Red Clay in Georgia Well, I've been around, you know, but Not one place quite like home What's up, everybody? No, wait. I should make this experience more personal for you, the listener. So let me try that again. What's up, you? How's that thing coming along? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, hey, you know, look on the bright side, right? (laughs) So true. You are hilarious. And did I mention attractive? No way. I liked it better the old way. What's up, everybody? It's Tuesday, April 28th, 2020. This is a talk in the attic making me your host, Kirk Ross. Do you notice anything different about me? Nothing at all? Here's an audio clip captured during an accidental recording earlier. Maybe it'll be a little more obvious here. Hmm. Hmm. This just isn't making any sense at all. It's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole and everybody's acting fishy. Well... Did you hear it in my voice? Bingo! I grew a mustache. And for real. For the first time in this lifetime. Does this quack believe in reincarnation? Probably. I heard he joined a cult. But for the first time in this lifetime, I have a real mustache. And the reasons I figured you might have noticed something different about me are twofold. The first of which being that the mustache itself adds a certain acoustic quality to vocal recordings. Think of it like this. Each coarse, food-stained bristle acts as a small reverberation column that reflects sound waves back to the microphone, but with a slight crackle, a little bit more tone and timber. This is true. Mustaches make people's voices sound different. It's science. Why do you think Freddie Mercury had such a wonderful stash, huh? I mean, sure, the stash has long symbolized sexual fluidity, but Freddie did it all for the music. And what about Jim Croce? Operator, can you help me place this call? Without the stash, no one would have ever even heard that song. The operator would have just been like, no, I can't place this call. Call back when you've got a little sugar on that upper lip, Jim. And have you ever noticed how much wiser the same words sound coming out of a mustachioed mouth versus a bald one? And intuition suggests that maybe we always trusted the wisdom espoused from a stash because... Its owner was typically a fatherly or grandfatherly figure. But that's not the whole truth, because the acoustic enhancement provided by the fuzz up top is playing a major role too. Words simply sound more trustworthy after passing through the bottom bevel of a finely grown mustache. But enough about this entirely made up premise. Let's get to the real reason I thought you might have heard my mustache through the airwaves, and that is that my natural disposition has undergone a seismic shift from generally trusting to highly suspicious since I grew this thing. Let's revisit that hot mic audio clip from before. This just isn't making any sense at all. It's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole and everybody's acting fishy. Now do you hear it? It's unbelievable, untenable almost. Nunzio is up to something, Jessica probably too, and don't even get me started on those kids down the street. Yeah, you! It's called sidewalk, not side run, Bryce. But why the sudden shift in my disposition? 
I've been wondering the same thing myself. My internal dime store psychologist thinks he knows what's up. He believes that I've been so conditioned into associating the mustache accoutrement with the stereotypical police officer that I myself have begun acting like a police officer. And through some magical mental gymnastics, I've managed to flip the whole idea of cause and effect on its head. Because cops have mustaches, and cops are suspicious, then my mustache has made me suspicious. I'm stroking my mustache, so I must feel suspicious, right? Wait a minute, I thought correlation doesn't equal causation, right? Mike and Natalie, hadn't we already verified this over a late night American spirit? It's cause and effect, not effect and cause. Yet in this case, I've somehow managed to take the effect and make it the cause. Yeah, you white striped fans already know what's coming up. So let's start the show. Well, hold on. If the intro music's about to play, then the show must be about to start, right? Or does the show starting mean that the intro's about to play? Ay, ay, ay. We've got some starting out to do today, don't we? Let's start the show. Take the effect and make it the cause. No, well, you can't take the effect and make it the cause. I didn't rob a bank because you made up the law. Blame me for robbing Peter, but don't you blame Paul? Can't take the effect and make it the cause. For those of you wondering, that was the White Stripes effect and cause. Love that tune. But check it out on your own time. When fair use copyright laws don't apply to sound bites over 30 seconds. But allow me to summarize Jack's assertion. Things happen, and when things happen, you can't blame the things as to why they happened. That likely only muddied the waters, didn't it? Some of you are probably thinking, whatever happened to that precise language decree from the Lost in Translation episode, huh, Kirk? So let me try again. This time with a little more precision. Correlation, simply put, is how strongly two variables are related and change with one another. For instance, in Detroit, Michigan, the sales of Detroit Tigers baseball caps increase in the summer. Also in Detroit, Michigan, during the same time frame, violent crimes rise at a similar rate. So these two outcomes, Tigers hats and violent crimes, are correlated, co-related. But what happens so often, even in the statistical and scientific communities, is that an erroneous conclusion can be drawn from a correlation. In this example, one such erroneous conclusion to be drawn would be that tiger hats cause violent crimes. And this would be patently inaccurate. I mean, don't get me wrong, the way the roster's been looking since Jimmy Leland retired is probably responsible for some violent incidents, no doubt. I mean, why the hell didn't you re-sign Scherzer? Oh, I could punch someone. But we all know that Tigers fans with newly acquired flat brims aren't suddenly turning into bloodthirsty psychopaths, right? Some other variables are at play here, like the coincidence that violent crimes increase in warmer weather, and baseball tends to increase in warmer weather too. Why do you think the world's best players so often hail from countries near the equator? So there is no causality between Tiger Hat's purchase and violent crimes reported in Detroit, but the fact that they track each other so closely could result in the wrong conclusion, and ultimately bad public policy, or inaccurate public opinion. So from a 10,000-foot view, this concept of cause and effect is very interesting. But you're in the attic, my attic. And so you already know that we'll need to apply this concept at a more granular, personal level. And it's definitely going to be a personal one today. Because my first exposure to this idea of cause and effect confusion 
came by way of an extremely special and important mentor of mine, Joan Brigandi. Or as she so often reminded me in one of our regular chillin' in the van sessions, more on that later, Joan Spencer White Brigandi. And she's been on my mind a lot lately. An awful lot. Because she's nearing the end of her run here on Earth, at least in the immediate physical sense. And this will come after a long battle with Alzheimer's. Pregandi family, I'm thinking of you right now. I wish I could be there with you. Joan Pregandi, or Joan Spencer White Pregandi, and I were as thick as thieves for some of my most formative years. But I'm getting ahead of myself, so let me lay the groundwork a little bit first. Joan, who I'll refer to from now on, as I always have in person, Mrs. P., is the mother of my sister's childhood and still best friend, Jean. What's up, Jeannie P.? So therefore, Jean and I are like siblings too. I even tried to set her up with my friend Ricardo once. Jean was a dominant softball pitcher, and I mean dominant. She routinely struck off the side with her combination of fastball, riser, and changeup. And my sister was an excellent player too, so their summers were spent traveling around the state and sometimes the country playing in softball tournaments. And guess who got to travel to each and every softball complex? Bingo, that's right, the families of the players. And this is really how Mrs. P and I became friends and ultimately weekend besties. Mrs. P's husband, the Scarlet Pimpernel himself, attorney Jerry Brigandi, was heavily involved with the team and was busy during those tournaments. My parents were out there helping too. And so that left a few stragglers out there, namely me and Mrs. P. What an unlikely and hilarious pair we must have been too. You had me, the 10-year-old boy, constantly talking to whoever would listen, complete with the bold cut and buck teeth. And then he had Mrs. P, the star pitcher's 54-year-old mother who spent every single inning of every single game in her light blue Chevy Astro van, working on arts and crafts, occasionally looking out on the field with binoculars, nervously vocalizing with every potential injury risk. Mrs. P had always claimed, at least as I recall, that she or someone close to her was hit in the face with a baseball bat or something at an early age. And so watching her precious genie out there with all these bats and balls flying everywhere, way too risky. Oh, jeez, careful. Don't. And I always believed her that this is why her summer Saturdays were spent in a van a few hundred feet away from home plate. But maybe she just hated getting bleacher butt or being around some of the more overzealous members of the cheering section. I mean, I can get pretty old pretty quick. But I wasn't about to push Mrs. P to leave the van. Why would I? She had invited me in there and we had a killer time together for hours and hours and hours on weekends on weekends on weekends for summers and summers. Talking about life. Telling stories. Mrs. P used to teasingly claim that she was born in 1909 when in fact she was born in 1941. Always making sure to remind us that she was of British Isle descent. Even that has a kind of a fancy thing, right? British Isle descent. She taught me all sorts of arts and crafts. Sometimes I would even bring my friends along, R.C. or Gabe or Michael, and they'd join us in the van too. Can you picture this? A light blue Astro van parked in the shade, slider door open, a couple of 10 or 12-year-olds hanging out with Mrs. P, just chilling. And from the outside looking in, this might have looked weird or crazy or kooky. I mean, Mrs. P might have appeared to, to look like that to some people too. But in reality, she was awesome. Those were some of the most amazing memories I have and some of the best times of my life. Mrs. P taught me about so many things. I mean, all the way down to synchronized swimming. She was a swimmer herself and also taught community education courses in it. And while a lot of what she has taught me was direct knowledge, 
that I could easily grasp back then and still possess today, she probably taught me even more between the lines, right? Some of which was by intention and probably some of which was by accident. Well, it's definitely some of which is by accident. And that's where I pull Mrs. P back into this week's other topic. Let's face it, less important topic really. And that is taking the effect and making it the cause. Mrs. P was like the Cosmo Kramer of the Michigan softball scene, at least to me. She was funny and kind of out there, but the absolute best person to be around. And just like Kramer, she would often offer unsolicited inputs without so much as even a thought of filtering it. I mean, she was authentic. Before everyone else was talking about it, Mrs. P was living authentically. One time I can recall that two friends and I rode our bikes over to Mrs. P's to say hi. We did that sometimes. We were friends, right? (laughs) Michael and JJ were the two friends who were tagging along. And within 30 seconds of meeting JJ... Mrs. P, never afraid to tell it like it is, looked at me with confusion as she attempted to concentrate unsuccessfully, mind you, on making out the deluge of words that J.J. was fire-hosing out of his infamous motor mouth. Mrs. P's eyes gazed back and forth between Michael's and mine before she abruptly stopped J.J. in his tracks, likely to the great relief of J.J., himself, by the way. And she asserted with clarity, J.J., I don't understand a single word you just said. You need to slow down. Like I said, the Kramer of the Michigan softball scene. And it was with this same directness and lack of a bash that Mrs. P had rendered similar advice to me throughout the years. And the two examples that I want to highlight today are tied directly to this episode's topic. Back then, in addition to being a 10-year-old softball fan, I was an active wrestler too. And with being an active wrestler means having your weight class and age group written in big black characters on the back of each hand for organization verification purposes at the tournament. Big black permanent marker across the width of the back of each hand. And I remember being in the 9 and 10 age group in the 95 pound weight class when the written remnants of my previous day's glory were spotted by Mrs. P during one of our van sessions. She noticed the faded 9 and 10 identifier and said, with disappointment, you know, Writing on yourself is a sign of immaturity. You shouldn't do that. I mean, I was immature. I was 10 after all. And I did have writing on my hands. So the conclusion that Mrs. P had drawn was that since both of these things are true, then I must have written on myself to signify my immaturity. But wait a minute. That's not right. Yeah, I was immature. And yes, I had writing on my hands. But they're unrelated variables. This causation idea obviously wasn't exactly on my mind back then. I was too busy plotting the next opportunity to to write something on my skin. And while I couldn't have articulated it then, I still learned a valuable lesson from Mrs. P here, one that I think back on often. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't believe you know something about someone just because you know something else about them. So there, Mrs. P, not so immature after all, am I? As I attempt to squeeze in this last-minute explanation 25 years later. And then a few more years down the road, When puberty had come and I was therefore less interested in the arts and crafts sessions and more interested in that center fielder from the Mount Pleasant Oilers. What's up, cutie? Which, looking back, I so wish I would have just stayed with Mrs. P. I mean, that was way more valuable than chasing girls. But nevertheless, I would still stop in for a few innings here and there. And one time, I specifically remember, I stopped by and I had a pen cap in my mouth. Kirk, take that pen cap out of your mouth. You might choke. Plus... Putting things in your mouth is a sign that you might have an oral fixation. 
Mrs. Peter, probably right. That's probably why I bite my fingernails too, see? And she always told me I should stop biting my fingernails. She would always threaten to bring no bite. That's what I do to Jeannie. I'll bring no bite and I'll put it on you someday. And in this case, she was right. I did have an oral fixation. I do have an oral fixation my entire life. If I was ever in a room and a moderator suddenly stood up and ordered that the entire population line up single file from shortest to longest fingernails, I would have landed in the front of that line 99.9% of the time. Leaving that 0.1% in the off chance that my buddy Gabe was also in the room. And even though I always have wanted to stop biting my nails, I never gave it the old college try. But a few weeks ago, I finally committed to stopping this habit. And I'm super happy to report that as of today, in these three weeks, I've gone completely cold turkey. And for the first time in my life, I have fingernails. And it is straight up impossible for me to look at my fingernails and not think about how proud Mrs. P would be that I finally kicked this thing that my suspected oral fixation is perhaps nearing its end as well. I'm a highly visual person, just like I tend to attach lessons and memories to people. And so the truth is, I always hated that I bit my nails, and I thought of it often. And whenever I thought of it, I would at least briefly think of Mrs. P and her face showing concern for my nails, honestly. And so now you kind of understand how undeniably attached my nail-biting habit and Mrs. P are, and how fondly I look back on my friendship with her. So it would be easy to conclude that I was inspired by Mrs. P's impending passing to kick the habit. That I would do this for her as a send-off, but that would be incorrect. As romantic and as beautiful as it sounds, it would be incorrect. Correlated, certainly, but was one caused by the other? No. And that got me thinking, what other conclusions are each of us making that might fit our own narratives, but that don't really reflect how things really work? Sometimes we might jump to negative conclusions, other times positive. What other trends am I seeing through my lens before applying some low-hanging cause to it and then moving on? I mean, all around us, we're being presented with statistics and blame and attempts to marry two correlated items with causality. And that's dangerous. Jumping to conclusions is the natural response during urgent times, but in reality, it is during these times that it is most dangerous to do so. So let's be on the lookout for that. Do any of you listeners have any examples of mixing up cause and effect? Yeah, you specifically. Send me a message on the gram or on Facebook if you have any examples of this in your life. Have some fun with it. And with that, we'll wrap up this special episode of A Talk in the Attic with a song for Miss Joan Spencer, White Pregandy. I love you, Mrs. P. Thanks for everything. And until we meet again in the blue astral van upstairs, peace out. To live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. Don't tell me not to fly. I simply got to. If someone takes a spill, it's me and not you. Who told you you're allowed to rain on my parade? I'll march my band out. I guess I didn't make it, but whether I'm the rose of sheer perfection, a freckle on the nose of life's complexion, the cinder or the shiny apple of its eye. I gotta fly once, I gotta try once, only can die once, right, sir?
I'm a comer. I simply gotta march. My heart's a drummer. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. I'm gonna live and live now. Get what I want. I know how. One roll for the whole shebang. Mr. Onstein, here I am. I'll march my band down. I'll beat my strong. And if I'm fanned up, you'll turn it back, sir. At least I didn't fake it, hat, sir. Guess I didn't make it. Get ready for me, love, 'cause I'm a comer. I simply gotta march my heart to drum. I know, nobody, no, nobody is gonna rain on my little Barbra Streisand there for Mrs. P. Love you, Mrs. P. Baby, six, one, six,